Good morning. You have no idea how good you look to me this morning. For the, since the beginning of the year, I have been working on a book on the recent election. So I have been inside debates and electoral stats and personalities and fighting and carrying on. You would look good to me if I had just come back from having tea with the Queen of England, but you especially look good to me this morning because I have been buried in my office writing this book and wow. Well, listen, um, I turned on my spiritual GPS and looked at the calendar of this church. Friday night, Daryl and Jewel did a great marriage seminar. How many of you were there? Some of you were there for that. That was great. Uh, gentlemen, little help here, 48 hours away from Valentine's Day. Can I just... Can I just help some folks out? So Brett's never told me what to preach, but I can pretty much figure out what I should preach when I'm between a green marriage seminar and Valentine's Day. I'm going to talk about love. You think that's spiritually wise? You think I, I have great discernment there, right? I want to talk to you about the battle for love. The battle for love. And I know some of you are already thinking, you're going to preach on the battle for love? Yes, I'm going to preach on the battle for love. One of the things that helps me, and I think helps a lot of us when it comes to looking at the New Testament, is that the Christian life is really a battle. If we think about it as a battle, we think about it as something we're battling for. I mean, we are, on the one hand, given the gift of faith, according to Ephesians 2. At the same time, we've got to fight the good battle of faith. We've got to fight the battle for faith. Uh, we're told that we're given the mind of Christ. We still got weapons to pull down vain imaginings and, and, and lies and falsehoods. We still got to fight. We still got to battle right? Uh, we, we get, Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, but at the same time, uh, we've got weapons. We've got to fight. We've got to put on the armor of God. We've got to trounce the enemy. We've got we've to battle. And the same thing is true in the area of love. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 tells us that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I got to tell you that when I began as a Christian, just knowing that was not enough. I got saved because I was told Jesus loved me. I, I, I saw people in the body of Christ who were loving people. You know the kind I'm talking about. People follow you through the mall looking for a hug. I mean, that's how some people are just loving and warm in that way. I was not naturally that way. I don't know what it was, uh, you know, it might somewhat be the way I look, I don't know, it might be, who knows. My father was General Patton, uh, my, my mother was uh, Jackie Onassis, I'm not saying I'm a Kennedy, I'm just saying that, that, that style of person, it had a lot of advantages, but it, it didn't really make me a great loving person. Um, I'd come from a long line of military people and athletes and, uh, you know, so coaches and drill sergeants are more my models than, uh, you know, than, than loving people. So when I became a believer, I admired love. I could feel the love in my heart, but, but I, I wasn't the most loving person. I wasn't as loving as I wanted to be. I wasn't able to exhibit the love of Jesus that was on the inside of me. And the day that I really knew that was I was a young pastor and I was down front at, a, at a, another church in Texas that I was uh, on staff of. And I, I noticed that after the service, a young guy, maybe 14, 15, was standing not too far away from me. He wasn't approaching. He was just standing nearby. And after a while, I turned to him and said, well, can I help you? What, 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 what do you need? He said, no, I just wanted to stand here. He said, somebody told me that when I got near pastors, I would just feel the love of God from them. <laughs> and, and I said, I put my arm around him and almost wanted to weep. I said, my, my brother, if you are waiting to feel the love of God wafting off of me over on you, you will be waiting a long time. 
That's just not how it works. And I, I, you know, I'm not even feeling condemned as I say that. I'm just telling you that, that the love of God on the inside of me had not conquered the externals about me so that I could love people the way that I wanted to. So I want to talk to you today about five areas of battling fighting for love, battling for love. This is a good time to talk about this between this awesome marriage time we had Friday night and, and, and Valentine's Day. And, and I, I think it's going to help some of you. It's going to help some of you men in particular. It's going to help some of us that have been labeled a certain way, have a certain history in our family. And, uh, and we'll have some fun with this along the way. So let me read first of all from Romans 12 2. Let's talk about the battle for transformation. The battle For transformation. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, as I always say, reading from God's version of the Bible, the NIV, come on, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That Greek word for transform is metamorpho. We get our word metamorphosis from it. That's the process by which green uh, leaves become green again, you know, and caterpillars become butterflies. Transformation within nature. But what it means here is that what's true on the inside becomes the reality on the outside. That's what metamorphosis actually means. What's true on the inside becomes uh, the truth on the outside. Uh, Your inner state takes over and you reflect it externally. That's the good news. Inside that hairy little worm called a caterpillar is, is actually the nature of a butterfly looking to get out. The transformation just hasn't taken place yet. The metamorphosis just hasn't taken place yet. And so... That's, that's what that word means. And I love the fact that God chose to use that word. Now, now hear me on this. I love all the infant, all the personality inventories that we have today. You may have had to do them for your job. You may have done some of them, some of them here in this church as people are trying to help you uh, learn what your spiritual gifts are and so on. I'm glad for all of it. High G, low D, whatever. I'm, I, if you're an otter, if you're a lion, whatever. If you're an aardvark, it doesn't, what, awesome. Whatever helps you get on top of your personality and learn who you are, wonderful. I'm all for it, okay? My personality inventory usually said you're a strong leader and nobody's ever gonna like you. You know what I mean? That's, come on, you know what I'm talking about. They might follow you if the building's on fire and you are leading them out the exit. But other than that, they are not going to like you. It's just, I'm just telling you, that's how uh, personality inventories tend to work. And I'm glad for all of them. I'm glad for all the insights of them. But I want to tell you something. When you take an exam like that and you find out what your basic personality is, all the different ways people rate them, from otters to lions to introverts to whatever, that is the beginning That is the start. That tells you where you are now. That doesn't tell you where you're going to end up or what kind of change is possible. Come on. Because the Bible says that we are destined to be conformed to his image. We are destined to be changed. And the lie that's been laid on a lot of us is that we get a certain thing from our family line, we get a certain thing from our culture, we get a certain thing from our background, like in my case, military and jock and so on, athlete. But, but, but there's that, that's where we're stuck. My people have always been angry people, therefore I'm always going to be that way. My people aren't very emotional. We don't really express our emotions. But once you're a believer in Jesus, 
you've got the love of God shed abroad in your heart and you've got this magnetic pull pulling you towards becoming like him. So I am an introvert and God uses that because I got to spend a lot of time alone to write and do the things that I do. But that's, I'm not pure introvert because Jesus is pulling me towards loving people all the time, coming out of the cave, coming out of my own head and beginning to love on people. You see what I mean? Whatever you are, He's pulling you in a, in, a, in a broader direction. You may be the people person. You may be the person who gets more hugs. You may have won the hug contest on the way in this morning. All right. You are the loving person. You've got a face that says, I want to hug you and take you home. And people follow you. That's wonderful. Jesus is still pulling you, uh, affirming that, cleaning that up, and bringing you also so you can be alone with him. You follow what I mean? It's both. He's always trying to round you out. So here's the good news especially, and you guys know I have a heart for men. Women, I don't mean to leave you out at all, but I have a heart for men. Uh, what, especially men, where, where we have been schooled to be shut down and unemotional. In some cases, in some cultures, we've been shut down and made to be unemotional. Here's the promise of the gospel of Jesus. You can be changed so that your personality takes on the manner of the love of Jesus that's on the inside of you. That is good news to me. That is good news to me. Otherwise, I'm, I'm the guy who's watching love happen, feeling love in my heart, but not able to actually love people. Do you follow what I mean? I mean, I'm not saying I don't feel the love. I'm saying that my personality sometimes can go a different way. I had a staffer once. I'm confessing all my sins this morning. I had a, I had a staffer once who said to me at a moment of tension, I never feel important in your presence. Well, now there's a great leader right there. Come on, that's a... That's what you want to be. And, I, and, I, and I, after the, the immediate issue, I said, why? It, it turned out to be all practical stuff. It turned out to be, when I'm talking to you, you look away. I can tell you don't like me. Well, it wasn't true. I, what, I, what I had was a personality trait that when I'm thinking about what you're saying, I would look away and think. I mean, it's a small thing. But Jesus had to get hold of that because you can't be looking away from everybody you're trying to love. Do you follow what I mean? So, so Jesus can fix all those things. He can change those personality traits. He can overcome even, even the way that you look. I, I can, I can, people used to ask me when I'd walk in church, are you mad about something? And I would think, I am walking in church to worship Jesus. How could, I mean, where, what am I doing? Do I have a t-shirt on that says I'm ticked off, leave me alone? What is it that is going on? And it was just intensity. You know, some people, uh, Jim Critcher's got this, by the way. I say that with one of my dearest friends. Jim Critcher, when he, when he gets that condor hawk thing on his face, you know, <laughs> you know, and I, he's not mad at anybody. He's just thinking, <laughs> you know, he's probably thinking, well, let's go eat. But I mean, whatever it is, <laughs> he's in Spain. I can say whatever I want this morning. He, it, it's just, we all have things like that. We all have things like that. Come on, where we're misunderstood. We're, I want to be transformed. I, I, I want to have the game I came in with cleaned up, and then I want to have a broader range of being able to love people. I don't want my children saying later in life, well, I know he loved us, he just couldn't show it. I don't want that. I don't want to pass that curse down. That's the curse I got through my family line. A whole bunch of generals and special forces guys, you know the culture, and they, they did love, they did take care of me, they were good, but... But that's, that's basically the epitaph. Well, I know they loved me. They couldn't show it. That's not what Jesus wants to do with us. 
And by the way, we're not just talking about kids and wives and husbands and, and, and immediate church people. We're talking about love and people groups. We're talking about love and ex-ISIS members. We're talking about love and street gangs. We're talking about love and people who don't love us. We have got to find the transformation that lets the love of God on the inside of us get out. Number two, the second battle in this little short list here is the battle for wholeness. In, in Proverbs 18, 14, it says, the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? A crushed spirit, who can bear? And I love the Hebrew word for crushed because you know what it means? Crushed. <laughs> That's what it just me. I mean, there's no fancy thing I can do with that word to entertain you with how fun, fun words can be in the Old Testament. It means crushed. Best way to imagine this is picture a, a soft drink can. And since the only biblical soft drink is Mountain Dew, picture, <laughs> picture, it's only one mentioned in the Bible, I'm just saying. But picture a can and picture that, you know, some, some guy with strength here has taken that can, I think we, most of us can do it, and crush it down. Well, now, what's the first thing you know about that crushed can? It has less capacity than it did before, right? So a crushed spirit has less capacity for whatever was meant to go in there before it was crushed. And that's part of the, the, the battle that we all have to deal with. We bring our damage with us. We carry it with us until it's healed. We bring our damage with us into marriage, into friendships, into the world, into the church. We bring our damage with us. And so what, what we often do is we tend to think that if I'm talking about loving my daughter, for example, that I've only got to deal with the damage that might exist between my daughter and me. No, I can be working on loving her as well as I possibly can in every way that Jesus can help a father love a daughter. But something that happened back over here with the coach or the dad or the teacher or the friend or who knows what, 20 years ago, crushed my spirit just a little bit. So my capacity for loving my daughter is less. The battle for loving her is not anything that relates to her. It's the battle for something to get whole and something that happened back over here. The battle to uncrush, I'm making up words now, the battle to uncrush the spirit. I imagine there's somebody who can pull those cans back apart again, or at least we can do it in CG. And so the, the point is that that crushed spirit, the problem is that when we are unwhole, when we are wounded, uh, we've got to learn how to get whole without killing our rescuers. Now let me give you a little humorous example. It's a true story. Years ago, I was at a swimming pool and... Uh, just working out, and, and, and a, a woman began to yell that she was drowning in the middle of the pool. Now, she, I had seen her before. She was a little tiny woman, like some of the women on this, on this stage. I had boots bigger than this woman. You know what I'm saying? She was tiny. So I went out there. I mean, it wasn't any big thing. She was 10, 15 feet away. We've all, you know, we've all been taught how to do this, just help somebody who's drowning. Got around behind her, grabbed her around the waist, and began to swim to the side with her. Now, she was screaming as she was drowning. I mean, I hadn't made that up. I want you to know between the middle of the pool and the side of that pool, she just about beat me to death. <laughs> I mean, there was me, and here was her, and here was me, and here was her. She 
beat me. She almost killed me. I'm not kidding, because she hit me, and I saw stars and thought I was going to pass out. And, and I'm in the water. You, know, you can't really pass out in the water and have that go well. And so... And I, I set her up on the side and looked at her. I thought, and you know, she's like, I mean, literally tiny. First of all, I wanted to say, you're amazing. <laughs> you know, just about, my friends are on the side looking at me, looking at her and just, they're wanting to laugh is what they're wanting. They thought they were going to watch me die at the hands of a hundred pound women, woman, when I weigh nine or 10 times that. And so <laughs> my point is that when we are in the pain of unwholeness, When we are wounded, we can get desperate, we can get panicked, and we can hurt the very people that are meant to be put into our lives to help us come into wholeness, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It's the people who have the courage to step into my life to bring me to wholeness that I'm most likely to take a swing at. I don't mean physically, but you know what I'm talking about, just as we try to to grow. So part of the battle to love is to deal with your damage that crushed your spirit, so your capacity for love was decreased. And let me tell you something that's important for some of us to realize. In a sense, we got to stop looking at the people who hurt us and the circumstances and realize that behind all that, there was a prince of darkness who wanted to keep us from what we were made to be, right? So let me just use a small illustration in my own life. I do a lot with the Kurds. Some of you know this. I write about the Kurds, lobby for the Kurds, go to Kurdistan, love the Kurds. Well, I'm, that's just part of what I'm called to do. It's not any big thing. But, but you can be sure that the devil, being a strategic guy and knowing how God works, knew that I was going to try to, that God wanted to use me to love the Kurds. So certainly some of the things that I sustained in my life, some of the, some of the blows that I sustained early in my life weren't just about me. They were about trying to limit my capacity so I wouldn't love a people much different from me when the day of destiny came. Do you follow what I mean? So it was preemptive. It was a preemptive strike. He threw a grenade into my life here to keep something from happening 30 years later. Because you know what? We're supposed to be loving people that don't love us. We're supposed to be loving people that don't like us. We're supposed to be loving a world that's dark and, and difficult. And, and by the way, the Kurds, come on, let's be honest, they're a 97% Muslim people and they, they live in a difficult part of the world and, and, and uh, they're wonderful. I'm, I'm crazy about them, but they can also be hard to deal with. If I haven't got the full capacity of the love of Jesus because I got crushed back when I was 16, I can't do what I'm called to do. Nor can you in the people groups that you're called to and the people you're supposed to call an impact. And look at, our, look at our angry society. Look at our angry world. Don't you think that God wants a display of the love of Jesus in this dark and bitter world? Well, I can't do it if I'm still processing what the coach said when I was 14, Right? I can't do it if I'm still, you know, bleeding over what my three supposedly best friends did in front of that girl when I was 19. You know what I'm talking about. Or worse things, much worse that I don't even want to say out loud here. Let's get whole. Let's fight for wholeness. The battle for loving those people living in your house might be a battle to get healed from something that happened before any of them were even born. Back when the devil was trying to do some preemptive things. Number three. It's the battle for forgiveness. It's different from the battle for transformation. It's different from the battle for wholeness. In Matthew 5, verse 44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Pray for those, love your enemies, and pray for them. 
There are two images in the Bible for forgiveness in kind of the Old Testament symbolism. One is that you let people out of prison. That's kind of what the original language means, to let people out of prison so they can go. The other is that the Old Testament priest would put his hands on the goat, would convey the sins of the people onto the goat, and the goat would go out into the woods and leave. And that's why it's called a scapegoat. He would leave with the sins of the people. Without getting too theological about it, without getting too technical, the fact is that forgiveness gets the stuff out of your house. Both of those images are about send it away, let them go, let them get out of there, put it on a goat, send it away, let them out of prison, don't keep them in your back room, let it go, let the toxicity, let the cancer get out of your house, send it away in Jesus' name. Forgiveness is about sending it away from you. Because if we don't forgive, let me tell you what, Bitterness, unforgiveness makes us bitter and toxic. It makes us bitter and poison. So let me again use the illustration of my daughter, and she's going to watch this and go, what did I do? No, I mean, I'm just using her as an illustration. She's used to that. I brought my son on stage when he was 13 and spanked him on stage just as an illustration. That was not one of my better pastoral moments, I can tell you. (laughs) just trying to show something. And he was like, what did I do? So I'm trying to love my, if I'm trying to love my daughter who, you know, 26, I mean, she's adult, but 26, trying to love my, I should really go like this because she's tall as I am, but love, love my daughter. The limiting factor might not be anything that took place between us, but the unforgiveness that I'm feeling towards other people that's making me poisonous and small and toxic. We all know what it's like to meet someone who treats us in a way we know can't be about us. We've only known them for 10 minutes, but there's something cycling in their soul that makes them toxic and bitter and poisonous and small. And we understand it because we've been there. We're compassionate. So you understand that as I'm trying to love Bev, as I'm trying to love Jonathan and Elizabeth, my children, as I'm trying to love Isaac, as I'm trying to love the people in my life, as I'm trying to love my team, as I'm trying to love people, the battle is to battle for forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you something that may shock you, but I actually keep a list of enemies that I pray for and forgive every day. Now, you're going to be shocked by that, but Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them. And I know we don't like to talk about enemies, but I can't know them and pray for them if I don't know who they are. Some of you are like, this dude's Richard Nixon preaching up here in this sermon. And I'm not trying to get you to be small and bitter and angry and keep lists of people you're mad at. But if Jesus said, look, if you don't forgive your enemies, you're going to be damaged by it. I got to figure out who they are and pray for them. So I keep a short list of people, basically, biblically, your enemies are those who would do you harm if they had a chance. That's, that's what an enemy is, basically. So... There, there are two or three people on the planet who would do me harm if they had a plan. So I, I pray for them every day. I forgive them. I ask God to bless them. I ask God to take all weapons out of their hands. I ask God, <laughs> I ask God to make my heart right about them. I say, Lord, it's possible I'll get to heaven and find out they weren't my enemies after all. But you can imagine, given what I experienced, that's what I think. I'm praying for them. I'm try- what am I trying to do? Am I doing it for them? Not really. I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for my kids. I'm doing it for the Kurds. I'm doing it for the people I'm called to impact in my life. I don't want to let these past incidents that I'm unforgiving in keep me from having the full love of Jesus flowing in my heart. The frustrating thing to me is that first verse. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? That means the perfect love of Jesus is living in me. Well, I want anything that stands between it and you being loved perfectly by Jesus through me to be removed. That's part of what forgiveness does. All right, let's look at another. The battle for intimacy. 
I'm going to change the way you're perceiving that. But let's read Matthew 13, verse 53. It's a very interesting incident in Jesus' life, and it illustrates an important principle for us. When Jesus had finished speaking, when he'd finished the parables that he was speaking, he moved on from there. And coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And look what it says next. And they took offense at him. They knew him after the natural. They only knew the natural man. They only knew what they could see. He had grown up with them. He had played hoops down the street. He'd spent the night with their child. He'd been around. He might have broken the window over at the high school. They had stories about him. They knew the natural stuff about Jesus. And because they knew the natural stuff, they couldn't see the supernatural stuff and let the supernatural stuff that was meant to happen, happen. So they took offense at him and it shut down what he was able to do in their midst. Let me tell you something. One of the keys to loving people the way that we're called to love them, especially the people that we spend daily time with, is that we have got to take a step back from time to time and see, I'm going to use a word from the young people, and see their awesomeness. Occasionally, we've got to ask Jesus to help us see those people as he does, that spark of greatness, that spark of amazing, that spark of awesomeness. Because what we're seeing day in, day out is that they stole all the Oreos. What we're seeing day in, day out is that they owe me some money. What we're seeing day in, day out is can't you fill the gas tank when it's on empty? Can you read? What we're seeing day out, day in and day out is the hamper's here, the floor is here, there's only three feet, can't you fix the gap between the two? That's what we're seeing day in, day out, right? Day in, day out, we're seeing all the stuff, right? I'm crazy about my wife. She sees me sweaty. She sees me tired. She sees me, you know, uh, in, uh, in my cave, not wanting to talk to anybody. I see her in various stages of feminine do hair, you know, working <laughs> under construction. I'm not going any further. And <laughs> at some point, I want to step back and just glimpse that thing again, right? That kid in your house who is nothing but the money taken, food eaten, just chaos causing, noise making, what the heck, you know, kind of per. There's something awesome about them that you're meant to be praying out and coaching out and hanging on to, and you got to be able to see it. Otherwise, we're doing exactly what Jesus' hometown folks did to him. Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this Joseph? Didn't this guy work carpentry? Isn't he the one that... And they took offense at him, and he could do no mighty works there. You want something mighty in your marriage? You want something mighty in your friendships? You want something mighty in your relationships? You know what you got to do? You got to let God just help you keep a focus on the awesomeness. Because everybody gets old once in a while. Come on. I don't mean old as an age, I mean tiresome, I mean irritating, I mean please Jesus not again. That's what I'm talking about. Come on, come on. We're just sinners. We're just fallen. 
we're going to do stupid stuff. I got friends I love can't be on time to save their lives. Never have money. Lord have mercy. I'm I'm talking about rich people who can't find $5 to get the popcorn. You know what I'm talking about? Just... If you let the natural stuff wear you out, you won't love anybody. You certainly won't love the gang member or the whatever is opposite of whoever you are. You follow what I mean? So you got to glimpse the amazing. Got to glimpse the amazing. You know, a, a young man recently escaped ISIS and became a believer. And he says, there are amazing young men in ISIS just looking for a cause. And he said, they haven't found it in ISIS. They're going to find it in Jesus. But, the, but you can't believe the gifts that are in there. And of course, uh, you know, diplomats and people around the world scoffed at what he said. But you and I know what, what, what he's talking about. They aren't made for ISIS. They're made for Jesus. He made them. He loves them. He cares about them. He didn't put them on earth to be part of a terrorist organization. He put them on earth to do awesome things they don't even know about yet. Somebody's got to hang on to that. Somebody's got to be sitting in Chantilly, Virginia, saying... These kids can be set free to the glory of God. That's what's got to happen. All right, final one is this. The battle, and I call it the battle for subjection because I like the old word in the King James, but here's where it comes from. Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me give you a principle that I want you to hang on to that is the key to the flow of love in in all of your relationships. You have a destiny, but your destiny is fulfilled by investing in the destinies of others. You have a destiny, but your destiny is fulfilled by investing in the destiny of others. I love the story in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible of Jonathan and David. Jonathan, I've, I've taught this here before, Jonathan is the son of the king, and he's the heir apparent. He's the next one. He should have... He should have been, become the king. But as he gets to know David, he's, of course, Jonathan's the son of Saul. As he gets to know David and senses what God is doing, he's aware that David's going to be the next king. So there comes a moment when Jonathan turns to David and says, you are going to be king and I will be second to you. And that changes everything. It breaks the house of Saul, puts David in the kingship, establishes Israel. Everything changes. Why? Because two men had a friendship. And one said, I'm going to serve you, invest in your destiny, and launch you to your best. I'm going to do what I can. David, years later, says, nobody touched my soul like Jonathan. Nobody. He spoke words that were tender, like those of a woman. In other words, you know, he he lit up my soul with his sense of my destiny and calling. And the battle that you have to fight in your relationships for the love of God to flow is a battle not to be on top. It's not to ascend. It's not to dominate. It's a battle to serve and be subject to each other. That's where it comes from. That's where it flows from. Let me tell you something. The Greens, I'm sure, did an awesome job with the marriage seminar Friday night. I don't have anything I need to add to that. I will tell you this. Here's my experience. Marriage is two sinners under the same roof. There's my big revelation for the day. Marriage... And I have a happy one. Don't misunderstand. Marriage is two sinners under the same roof. First one to the cross wins. First one to the cross wins. 
But that's true in all of our relationships. If Pastor Brett and I are, the only battle we're having is to bat, is to work in each other's lives, launch each other, inspire each other, build each up each other's destiny, serve each other in divine purposes. And we're both going to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. We're both going to fulfill our destiny. That's what a loving relationship is about. It's not primarily about emotion. It's not about dominating each other. It's not about having the upper hand. It's about being subject to each other in Jesus so the divine purposes can launch us. Do not believe the lie of your family line, of some personality inventory, of some cultural analysis, of some whatever. Whatever you are, You can be changed to be the loving being you are called to be and lives will be changed through it. Battle for love. If you're a believer in Jesus, it's in you and we can help you. If you haven't committed to Jesus, we can help you with that right down here at the end of the service. But if you're in Jesus, the love of God is in you. Don't let any wound, any personality, any unforgiveness, any silly thing, any overfamiliarity keep you from being the loving vessel you're meant to be in this dark and perverse generation. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, we're all a little stuck and further off than we were before. Help us now. Break through. And may the love of God in our souls run its full course. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Love you.